0: Be seated. It was an interesting time in Israel when Elisha was the prophet and Joram, the son of Ahab, was king of Israel. We find in the text in 2 Kings chapter 6 and in chapter 7 that Israel was under attack. The country of Aram surrounded Samaria, which was the capital city. The siege lasted so long. The scriptures tell us that the Hebrews resorted to cannibalism. Oh. Then. Then God gave Elisha a message, which he shared with the king. The message was quite simple. It was like this. Tomorrow, about this time, I know you're going through a tough time. I know that food is so scarce. I know there's nothing to drink. But tomorrow, in 24 hours, the marketplace will be filled and you will be enjoying food and drink. <laughs> Nobody could believe that. It, it was such a, a, an ugly situation. How could God even do something like that? But then the scriptures go on and, and tell us the story of four lepers. So many of you understand the leprosy of the Bible it was a horrid skin disease that, that once you, well, contracted it, it would slowly but surely just eat away your flesh and your organs until you died. There was no cure. There was no hope. But the scriptures tell us that these four lepers were outside the skitty, skitty, city gate. And, and they started to talk with each other. He said, hey, you know what, guys? This is kind of a desperate time. If we stay here, we're going to basically starve. But we might as well go back to the enemy camp. Might as well. I, I mean, if they kill us, then we die. But if they take us captive, at least we'll have some food. So that's what they decided to do. When they arrived in the our, our Amaians camp, their jaws dropped. <laughs> they rubbed their eyes. They couldn't believe it. Nobody was there. They went in the tent after tent and feasted and drank their wine, and they couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden, they came to their senses. They stopped. They said, you know, here we are. <laughs> Enjoy a feast. And literally everybody back home is dying. And the words they said is this this is a great day of good news. We have to share it. We, we have to share it. Wow, well, I I actually think the apostle Paul felt the same way about God's grace. He knew that at one time, in in spite of all of his accolades, how prestigious he was, that he was lost. He was starving. And as he looked out, he saw so many people desiring and hoping for the bread of life. He knew he had a relationship with God. And he knew he was feasting on God's grace. And that he had the ability to, well, live life with his sins forgiven. Live abundantly. And look forward to eternity. So he was jacked about God's grace. That's going to be important as we open up our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But before we do that, let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry, and you are filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We are a people, Lord, who are thirsty. We desire deeply to drink from your well, We are people who are hungry, and after scurrying around trying to find scraps, we realize that you alone are the bread of life. We are grateful for your compassion, for we know if it wasn't there, we'd be consumed, and for your mercy that you give us things and desire to give us things we don't deserve. We're grateful for your unfailing love and for your faithfulness. And we know, Lord, that you are slow to get angry, but when you do get angry, we know you're gracious and do only what is right. We as a people desire to hear and respond quicker to you. We confess that our arrogance before you is bothersome. I'm not sure how we believe or think that we can exist or we can do life without you, Father. We, we confess that. We can't. We pray for our land and we pray for our leaders who seem to be confused. We pray, Father, for the church and we pray for our church. We ask you this day as we gather, whether in your house or in our own private houses, Father, that you would teach us today. We love you and we thank you for everything, but especially, Father, we have been so grateful for the opportunity to regather or to gather in your house. We pray this in your son's name, amen. If you would, turn your Bibles or your flat screens to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Just want to remind you that this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's a letter that uh, probably was the fourth bit of Correspondence. The message that Paul just got through giving in chapter 5. And again, it's a little awkward because letters usually, <laughs> we don't read letters in chapters. They just kind of flow. But for, but for us, the, the scriptures are divided up into chapters and verse and it helps us. So right before we get to chapter 6, of course, is chapter 5. And Paul gives this life-giving message that we are God's kingdom ambassadors, that we actually are sent out into our world to represent the Almighty God wherever we go, whether we're in Jewel, whether we're in the office, wherever God sends us, we get to represent Him. And we realize for those who have come to faith, for those who have received Christ as their personal Savior, they are God's family. And those folks had the privilege of representing God and sharing his reconciliation of Jesus to everyone. It's quite encouraging. So that's where we ended, at least our study, about a million years ago. We're picking up Second Corinthians chapter 6. So I'm going to start reading at verse one and read through verse two. Paul says this as as God's partners, we believe, or, or excuse me, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, just at the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Paul starts off as God's partners or as we work together. You're going to find in this chapter especially there's a lot of we, which again, it was Paul and Timothy that wrote this letter, and us, those leaders, and the church kind of partnering. And this is what, what he says as God's partner, or partners, or as we work together, please, I beg you, don't ignore God's grace in your life. It's almost like Paul was saying. You know, there are times we forget about God's grace, and I just want to remind you, you Corinth believers, that if you do, you're going to regret it. So please, please hear me. I beg of you, don't ignore God's grace. Now, some of you may begin to question, how would the Corinthian church ignore God's grace? Well again we have First Corinthians, but if we just stick in the in the letter called Second Corinthians, you'll find out that God again, or that Paul again continually shares good news about Jesus and who we are in Christ. Perhaps this church forgot that they were brand new creations, that when they came to faith, that God changed them from the inside out. Maybe they even forgot the good news, the good news that Jesus died and was crucified and paid our debt, the news that Dave reminded us so clearly in the beginning of our worship time. Some might even be timid about this God-transforming message. But we need to remember as we open up this book that Paul is so convinced that God uses the ordinary to do the extra ordinary. And in Paul's case, he calls himself the greatest of all sinners. So he recognized the privilege that God had given him, but he also recognizes, wow, God's grace was given to me. I am faithful feasting. This is amazing. I need to go back into the city to be able to let others know where the food is. It's because of God's grace that the Spirit of God lives in you. Ordinary clay jars to do His work. How exciting is that? That you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be able to have the Bible memorized. You, and, well, you fill in the blank. He says, you know, I want you to understand. In spite of who you are, in spite of who I am, God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to allow you to walk with me, and make an impact wherever you go. Then in verse 3, Paul quickly changes gears. And I think we have to understand the context before before we hear verses 3 through 10. Now remember that Paul planted this church a while back before this letter was written, and he stayed there for 18 months. He was their pastor. He was the one that taught them teaching and doctrine and encouraged them to follow God with all of their hearts. But it didn't take long after his departure that divisive leaders began to usurp their authority and actually divide the church. In this section, um, John MacArthur writes this in his commentary. He said, Despite their shortcomings, the Corinthians were a blessing to Paul. His heart was filled with joy because many of them had believed the gospel. Yet, the Corinthian congregation had also caused Paul much heartache. He had been savagely attacked by false teachers who had infiltrated their assembly. And a trip to Corinth, which he tried to mend some of those relationships, had not gone well for Paul, turning into a painful, sorrowful visit. The apostle experienced the full range of emotions from the heights of joy to the depths of sorrow. And in his dealings with the Corinthians... Nowhere is such tension between honor and dishonor, between joy and sorrow, better expressed than this epistle, and especially in this passage. I want to warn you, when we first read it, and if it's the first time you've read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 to 10, which again, we're going to read in a moment, it's going to feel like Paul is tooting his horn. But he isn't. Remember, Pastor Paul was reminding his friends that he was the real thing. He was a shepherd that only wanted God's best for him. He wanted them to realize that ministry is hard, mostly because you're others-focused. You are serving others. You're caring for others. You're picking up your cross and enduring to the end. Paul was sharing his experiences and describing ministry to them, which feels a lot like parenting to me. So many of you have had the privilege of parenting. Others are looking forward to parenting. And there's even some that really appreciate their parents right now. But parenting is hard, but so rewarding. There are times when you're prodding and rebuking and encouraging your kids. Then, in the midst of the tantrums or the harsh words, like, I hate you. Why are you my parents? I wish I was dead. I know that none of those things come out, but sometimes things get out of hand at home. And when this happens, it crushes parents. They hate hearing those words. But every once in a while, they see fruit and are blessed in spite of a child's selfish attitude. Paul was dealing with all levels of maturity here in this Corinthian church. There were some that really walked with God and some that weren't. So here's the Apostle Paul reading, well, he's not actually reading, but we're listening to the Apostle Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 3.
1: We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us, we are honest, but they call us impostors. We are ignored, even though we are well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything.
0: Paul wanted the church to understand the cost of ministry. Actually, the toll that it took on him. And to model what ministry endurance actually looks like. They may not have even had a clue of what they had in their pastor. But Paul was an amazing person. It wasn't just his credentials or his experience. He walked with God. And there was power that came through him. And his words were powerful and riveting, convicting and encouraging. So Paul writes, if I could summarize this text, that all servants ultimately serve God because they are accountable to God. That those who are in leadership, at least in this area, are those who are in ministry. Ultimately, they are serving the Almighty God. That servants patiently endure and serve with integrity in spite of the difficulties. They don't give up. They recognize the pressures. Servants also, and I think this is huge, display the Spirit's fruit. Those who walk with God Bear the Spirit's fruit. And and their purity and understanding and patience and kindness seems to show. Outsiders know that God's servants are, well, that they're different. That they literally have God's Spirit living in them. Because every time they see them in the neighborhood or at a party or in the office, their responses are different than everybody else's. What an opportunity in this season for us as we walk with God to be able to respond differently than all those respond that don't have hope and don't have Jesus. The scriptures tell us this, that that you stick out when you listen to the Spirit. There's always going to be spurts of kindness, but they're replaced with periods of kindness. There's always going to be occasional generosity when someone pulls at your heartstrings, but those that walk with God are going to have seasons of generosity. Paul says servants, him in particular, know God's word and faithfully preach the truth. And as a result, God's power is so evident in them. I look at this text and I, I just need to say I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Paul. I'm grateful for his leadership, his modeling, and his passion. Then Paul Again, seems like he puts a different hat on, and as you read through this letter, you'll see at different places his temperament seems to change. So Paul then appeals to his friends almost again, like you would talk to your kids. So let's read second Corinthians chapter six, starting at verse eleven, and I'll read through thirteen. He says, "Oh." dear Cor- Corinthian friends, oh, my, my family. He says, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you, you guys, have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. open, your hearts to us. Paul says this. He's maybe tearing up. He's getting a a, a little bit emotional. He goes, don't you see that we have poured out our hearts to you? We have shared with you honestly and openly and lovingly. We have. But you seem guarded. Almost like you're listening to the false leaders. The false teachers. You seem stiff. You seem unresponsive. And in some ways, as we understand the context, you get it. There's been a whole bunch of people badgering Paul. There's been a whole bunch of people maligning Paul and his leadership and his words. So maybe the folks are a little bit cautious... But Paul says, you you know me. I, I spend time with you. You know the cost of ministry for me. I'm asking you. I'm asking you, open up your hearts. You're listening to the wrong voices. We are family. And I'm asking you, Paul says, to respond to me like family. Receive my words. Receive my leadership. I only want what's best for you. And then Paul jumps from the tender into the teaching mode. And again, trying to establish a little bit of credibility of maybe some folks that are not on board. Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll start reading verse 14. Again, he puts a different hat on. He says, don't team up or don't be yoked up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And and you folks know, um, I encourage you, man, mark this verse. Underline this. Highlight this. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then he says, because we have these promises... Dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness, because we fear God. So he starts off, and and so many of you again are familiar with this passage. But he says, "Don't don't team up with unbelievers. What you." don't understand is that it doesn't make any sense at all. Now, oftentimes, even in premarital counseling or, or um, youth pastors or concerned parents will use this verse, this verse, especially as you may see some of your children falling in like with someone that doesn't love Jesus. And sometimes your kids look at you like you've grown a fourth or a fifth eye. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's wonderful. He, oh, he treats me so well. He's the nicest guy in the world. And he might be. He might. But those who have walked with God for a while realize. No matter how nice, how wonderful, how great that guy or girl is, it is really going to be hard. Impossible. To move forward. Let me give you the illustration. Paul just says this. How can this partnership work? It it just can't. It's impossible because holy or clean can't hang out with disease or germ. We certainly know about germs and viruses at this moment in our lives. He says, hey, light can't hang out with darkness. If there's light, there's not going to be darkness. impossible. And Christ can't coexist. or or partner up with the devil. He says, for we are God's temple. God lives in us. It was mentioned already by Paul in chapter 1. But let's look at this clip.
2: In the Old Covenant, the temple was a physical building. It was a holy place, the dwelling place for God on earth. In the temple, people could worship God and God could speak to them. Because God is holy and good and pure, everything that entered the temple also had to be clean and pure. Now in the new covenant, instead of having a physical building as a temple, the Holy Spirit dwells in us people, that is in Jesus' disciples. It says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, In this verse, we're told that we are now the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit here on earth. That means that we have become that holy place.
0: You know, honestly, this is so foreign to so many of us. As Dave was even describing earlier, the early um, Hebrews, as they would go up to the temple, temple was a big deal. The reason the temple was a big deal is that's where God dwelt. Paul says something that is unbelievable. He is saying this unbelievable thing to a bunch of vagabonds. Let me say this. Remember, out of all the churches that Paul had a relationship with, at least we believe that the church at Corinth had the greatest amount of problems the greatest amount of division, the greatest amount of troubles. And what he was saying was life-giving. He's saying, you guys, you are God's temple. We know you've had issues. We know there are problems. But I'm letting you know that by God's grace, he is living in you and changing you from the inside so that where you go people will be able to smell like jesus as we've talked about earlier have the fragrance that will be able to represent him well now again you may not believe this you may not even get this Or you may not think this is a big deal. But to the original hearers, this blew them away. Because they also had all kinds of temples of foreign gods. Paul, are you (laughs) saying... I'm the temple? I'm where God resides? Yes. Yes. So... What is so exciting is that this wasn't the first time the Israelites or the Jews heard about this. In Ezekiel's prophecy of the dry bones in, in chapter 37. Again, many of you have understood this text. But at the very end of Ezekiel's prophecy, he, Ezekiel says this. Ezekiel 37, verses 27 and 28. I, in the future, Ezekiel's talking will make my home among them. God is saying, I'm going to live among God's people. Not in a temple. Then he says this, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, not a building, but us, the nations will know that I am the Lord and makes Israel holy. If we understand that God is holy and that God lives in us, do you now understand a little bit by us saying, or by Paul saying, clean is critical. Because if God is holy, God is pure, God cannot function in a temple that has sinned. So really, I think if Paul were talking to today, he would say this. So let's keep taking a shower because life makes us dirty. And God lives in us. And by the way, look at this text. It's saying Paul is saying us. He's not pointing a finger. He is using the term us. He said let's together confess our sins. Remember, we're reminded in Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: 18, if there's iniquity or if there is sin in our life, if there's unconfessed sin, if there's grudges, if there's a lack of forgiveness, whatever sin is in your life and it's not confessed, the scriptures say it makes God deaf. So Paul is encouraging these People at Corinth, let's together work toward complete holiness. You're the clean, or you're not. When you sin, you confess your sin. You repent. You go to God recognizing, hey, I ought not think like that. I looked at something I should not have. I treated my wife Well, with disrespect. I lied to my boss. And the scriptures say this, is that makes you and me dirty. That's why I've often said, and you've heard this if you've been part of our fellowship, that I think confession and repentance may happen 10, 15, 20, 30 times a day. In fact, one of the things you could ask yourself to just see how you're doing in life is when is the last time I repented? Because certainly it doesn't take long for many of us to be able to go our own way. And God desires deeply to be part of our lives and to influence us. That's why clean is critical, it just is. And we confess because the scripture says we fear God. And let me, whenever we read that, most of the time we'll say, oh yes, because we're accountable to God. Because God is going to judge us and God is going to judge us. No doubt about it. If we walk away from him, there's no doubt. But fear is much more than just judgment. Fear is also having faith or respect in the one who knows best, who created us. There is so much more of a blessing when you have a relationship out of respect rather than fear. And I do think, again, both of those kind of things happen in every one of a believer's life. And then, beginning in verse 2, of chapter 7. I think Paul puts his dad hat back on. Sometimes it's, you know, we all have different hats. We all wear different hats. You know, sometimes we wear a husband hat. Sometimes we wear an employee hat. Sometimes we wear a baseball coach hat. And and we keep wearing all these different hats. Well, Paul, I think, puts on his dad hat, talking to these people. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 2. Again, pleading, please, open your hearts to us, Paul says. We've not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts. You have a special place in our heart. And that we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you. And I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. Paul says this, again, pleading as a dad would. Open your hearts. We have only done what's best for you in areas that you've basically gone and listened to your own self rather than God. We've reminded you of it. We've shared that with you. We've exhorted you to follow and to listen to God. We're in this together. It was almost like, hey, he's saying this. I know you can do this. I'm proud of you, Corinthian church. I am. You have literally encouraged me. And I'm assuming because so many of them responded to God. And you've made me happy, despite all of our troubles. what a rich passage. A passage to remind us a little bit about what ministry is and the cost. A passage to remind us the privileges we have, having been called the temple of the living God, and reminding us over and over and over over again that God's number one assignment is us. And we can do this. And he's put all of his plans in our hands. We have the privilege. Now God isn't dependent on us, but we have the privilege to be able to partner with him. So as I close, I'd like to ask you a question. What's God teaching you today? What is it that he has your attention? Do you feel the pat on the back and say that at a boy? Is there a place maybe you need to repent? Because as the Holy Spirit comes, remember this Holy Spirit has two main responsibilities. is to convict convict and to lead and to guide. May we continue to allow the Spirit not only to work in our church, but in our individual lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for Paul's reminders. Lord, we cannot believe your plan, your number one plan is to live in us and to let us be your ambassadors in your world. That we get to share with people where the food is, where the security is, where the future is. Lord, not one of us deserve that. We sometimes take pretty casually you living in us. And we look at sin and actually flaunt it. But God, we know it's not right, and, and we want to walk with you more. We want to walk with you closer. We want you to be able to guide us and convict us. And so, Lord, every day, as you change us from the inside out, would we really be quick responders? And would people, well, on the outside, see a bunch of clay ordinary jars making a kingdom impact wherever they go. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.